0: Amen. Well, we're going to get back. I'm kind of excited. We're going to get back into uh, uh, our little look at the Holy Spirit. It was um, it was interesting having a week off. I thought it was wonderful last week. I really loved it. Uh, I got a bug and I changed the seating a little bit. Not too radical, but, you know, there's still some DNA left like that. Uh, so anyway, tonight we're going to get into uh, a look about the, the role that the Holy Spirit played in... The life of Jesus. We talked about incarnation last week, so I do want to catch us up with some review, which is probably no surprise to Richard. Um, the first thing we looked at is that that the Holy Spirit was a part of the building of the cosmos, and um, you know I, I think all of us know this verse, uh, but the part that I wanted to my earpiece is doing, there we go. The part that I wanted to remind us of is that the result of the work of the Holy Spirit in creation was that the world was perfectly suited for us to live in. So it wasn't just a random creation. It was a specific creation. And and it wasn't just for us to live in. It was for us to be in fellowship with God. And so that God was able to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. Now, sin messed that up, that relationship up, but that doesn't take away from the revelation of the intent. Hi. It doesn't take away from the revelation of the intent of the the Father, nor does it take away from the emphasis of the Holy Spirit to always be doing stuff that allows us to relate to God and God to be with us. So the result of this was that the world was specifically designed for man and God to walk together and to rule over, and it was a place to display the glory of the Lord. And if you've been here for a little while, you know that in uh, Isaiah 6.3, a lot of times, it talks about the glory of the Lord. You know that, that uh, the seraphim were over this place in this vision, and one was saying to the other, "Holy, holy, holy, uh, Lord of hosts." And the way most of our translations translate it, it says the earth is full of His glory. But the actual word order in there is the fullness of all the earth is His glory. It's the, it's not some abstract glory coming on the earth to fill the earth. It's that when the earth does what it's designed to do, it brings glory to God, when it achieves its destiny. And you can tell that the fall pulled away from that, but that's still the reality, and that is still the objective of the Holy Spirit. The work that the Holy Spirit did in the in the hovering, in the fertilizing, in the in the brooding, all all those word pictures that are part of that Hebrew word, the work that the Holy Spirit did. Simply brought about the nature of creation according to the will of the Father, and the will of the Father was that he be able to be with people, and that it 's good declared good by him so yes the um, the fall messed it up, but we 're probably as you can you know t- tell as we look through these things, the holy Spirit's working to get that back in shape as well, okay, another part that we re- that, that we looked at, the second section we looked at is the specific role that the Holy Spirit played in building a meeting place, a covenant place between humans, humanity, and himself in the tabernacle and in the nation of Israel. And so it's just in Exodus, uh, the children of Israel have been delivered from, from slavery in Egypt. They're at the base of Sinai. The Lord's revealed himself. And it says, the Lord said to Moses, spoke to Moses, saying, let them construct a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And then a little bit later in Exodus, it just says, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. You know, that's the gold lid to the ark. And it's the place where ultimately the Shekinah presence of the Lord hovered over that between the wings. And that's where atonement was taken care of. But then the Lord had a purpose in that. So you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one cubit wide. There I will meet with you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you. Now, I know that when I first studied the Old Testament, when I first studied about the the tabernacle and all that kind of stuff, it was taught to me in all kinds of ways, and a lot of them were good. But the one thing that was absent in the teaching, and was absent in my thoughts for years, is that the primary objective of that was for God to be with the people, to be in the midst just like the primary objective for creation was for God to be able to be with people. And I just began to see that even more and more as we're starting to look at the Holy Spirit. I want to point that out to you. God wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. And the Holy Spirit is carrying out the wishes of that in these instances. Later on it says, See, I have called by name Bezalel, and there's so much to study here, and I don't know enough about it. I just know his name means something like "under the shadow" or something along those lines. But the Holy Spirit inspired this man to be able to create this meeting place between God and man, and uh, it's a holy place. It's a wonderful place. That's what's going on about. And he he participated in a lot of the different participation, a lot of the you know the uh, tabernacle accoutrements and the structures and so on, but he did so under the anointing, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what it says specifically, that now, Bezalel made the ark, acacia wood, and he made the mercy seat, which is, and this is just a point I want to you guys keep in mind, the Hebrew word for the mercy seat, the gold lid to the ark, is the word kaporet, And in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, the word that is used to talk about that is hilasterion. And, uh, it, it comes from the word Helos, which is a mercy. So both uh, the, the, the Greek translators of the Septuagint understood the concept of the mercy related to the mercy seat. All right, But unfortunately, in some of the other New Testament stuff, we forgot it because Romans 3, 24 and 25 is this, being justified as a gift by his grace through redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. Now that's the Greek, uh, that's the translation of the Greek word in most uh, translations. Some will say expiation or something like that. It's the same word, hilasterion. And so I had to come to a place when I realized that Paul, being a Jew, is he going to have primary references to Greek culture or primary references to Hebrew culture? Well, he's going to have primary references to Hebrew culture. In the Old Testament, over 300 times, hilasterion means the mercy seat. So when Paul was using the word hilasterion, writing Romans, he was referring to the mercy seat. Propitiation, when I was young and in Bible college, was taught of like the atoning sacrifice in the, that used to be illustrated in Greek mythology and literature, like a king would surround a city. And you would take gold and virgins out to him, sorry, appease him so that he didn't destroy your city. So I can understand where the translation comes, but first of all, propitiation doesn't mean hardly anything to anybody in almost any language. And since it does have deep roots into that Hebrew image of the reality, not image, the the reality of the mercy seat, it just seemed to me that when Paul was writing about what Jesus did, he was writing about that mercy. And so I believe that we can learn as we look at at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit being so focused on the mercy seat as the sort of the quintessential centerpiece of God being with men, that that's what Jesus is as well. And as a matter of fact, if I'd been taught that when I was a younger Christian, I could have saved myself a long time thinking that Jesus' primary function was to appease the Father instead of to bring the Father into relationship with me and you. So anyway, I'm pretty convinced on it. Uh, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous, for he himself is the propitiation. This is the word hilosmos, which is the word uh sort of in, in the order of how words go as far as tense and and, uh, and mood and all that kind of jazz. Hilosmos is a word that just precedes hilasterion, not only just in number, but precedes it in... Being basic. So it's the idea that he himself is the mercy seat. And the point of me making a point about this every time I get to this point is that I want you to see that the work of the Holy Spirit is so consistent from creation to tabernacle and the formation of Israel to the incarnation of Jesus and to the ministry. And it's going to continue to be consistent when we start looking at the formation of the church and the individual believers. The work that the Holy Spirit does every time uh, the opportunity is presented is to create union with us and God. To create a place for that union. And the mercy seat was that place in the tabernacle. The earth, the Garden of Eden, was that place in the beginning of creation. And Jesus is that place. So, uh, just think of that and realize that when Jesus hovered over Mary, like he hovered over the waters in creation. It was to create a place where God and you could meet together. Pretty impressive, I think. All right. Now, the last point of review before we did uh, Passover was the creation of the union of God with us itself. That actual union, the paracritic union, the the, the fact that Jesus is both God and man. So now the birth of Christ was as follows. and, And two weeks ago, we looked at this in some detail. And I think you're all probably pretty familiar with the story. But the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall be with a child, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So just let that connection be made in your heart. The name of the incarnate Son of God is God with us. He's the mercy seat. Even the word used to describe His ministry, His atoning sacrifice, is hilasterion, the same word for the mercy seat. Here's what Jesus said a couple of times. I'll try to emphasize this. He who has seen me has seen the Father. That also means that he who has seen Jesus, if he were able to have lived during the time of the tabernacle, and he were to be there with the presence of the Lord... In front of that would have seen, I mean, this is this is what we're talking about. He who has seen me has seen God, is seeing God, has seen the Father. There's not a distance. There's not. They're not at odds. They don't play opposite sides of a good cop bad cop routine. (laughs) That's us. I and the Father are one. Okay, so that's that's some basic sort of theology about the oneness of Jesus and the Father. It's also some basic theology that I want to sow into our heads about the trend, about not the, trend, the um, the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit for? So some people, uh, grew up in a church denomination, for instance, a cessationist church denomination that thinks that the Holy Spirit only somehow facilitates our new birth and puts, puts the Jesus in our hearts. Uh, other people, like I, I got involved in assemblies of God when I was pretty young. And we put the Holy Spirit in just as tight a box, but it was just a bigger box. And the Holy Spirit gives you gifts and baptizes you blah, 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 you know. Uh, But again, I don't ever remember a single conversation all through Bible school and all that where somebody noticed, oh, the Holy Spirit is always at work making a connection between you and God, and God and you. So I just want us to, that's where we're going, and I'm getting there baby step at a time. All right, tonight we're going to work, uh, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit working in and through the union of God with mankind, and that union of God with mankind is Jesus Himself. So we're going to look at the ministry of Jesus and the relationship the Holy Spirit has in there. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and He saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on Him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. There are a few things that are in all four Gospels. This Aspects of this are in all four Gospels. To me, that's kind of important. Because there's not a lot of things that are that way. There's some that Mark emphasizes, some that Luke emphasizes, John emphasizes, and so on. But this idea of the Holy Spirit settling and descending on Jesus is now... There, you don't hear a lot about the ministry of Jesus in uh, canonical scriptures. There's a few apocryphal books that talk about him doing some miracles and stuff when he was little. But you don't hear a lot about the ministry of Jesus until after this event, right? So there is, a, a, there is a, another thing going on. The Holy Spirit is coming down on Jesus, similar in, in, in some ways to the way he came down on Mary, similar in the sense to the way he filled, similar in the sense to the way he hovered, and he is empowering and birthing and identifying the ministry of Jesus. And I would bet, even though I've already looked ahead, so it would be an unfair bet, I would bet that if, if our theory is correct, our observation, it's not really theory, if our observation about what the Holy Spirit does is correct, his coming on Jesus is going to pretty quickly create a place for God and man to do something. So, uh, here's the version of it in Mark. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son and you i am well pleased. So you see it's very close to the Matthew version. Two things. Confirmation and anointing as it relates to who Jesus was. We'll see that in John in just a minute. But confirmation of who Jesus is, an anointing of who Jesus is. Okay, the Luke passage, Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized, and while he was praying, heaven was open, And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and the voice came out of heaven, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. Now, you can tell the similarity. We'll look at the John one in a second. It takes it from a slightly different angle. But I don't know how to think about the order of things. Did heaven open so the Holy Spirit could come down and descend like a dove? I don't know. Did the descending of the Holy Spirit rend the heavens? I don't know. Did the voice of the Lord come as an affirmation of the descending and the anointing? I think so, all of the above. I mean, I really do. I don't know that we have to parse it out so thin like that. This is just an event where the Holy Spirit created something new in the ministry of Jesus. Um, I was talking with Jana about mikvahs. And one of the things that a mikvah does, the baptism does, which is what, what Jesus went through, one of the things that does is it opens up a new thing, a new arena, a new time. And so there's no question in my mind that this is a significant moment of affirmation, a, significant, a beginning for Jesus' ministry. And if we, so the point, I mean, it's, it's one point just to make that, but if we'll recognize it and then see what happened, see what came from that, that's where I think we can learn some stuff. Okay, so here's the John one. This is kind of cool. I think uh, in my little subhead there, this could have been a giver, could have been a baptizer, could have been a, could have been a, gosh, all kinds of but the confirmation and purpose of Jesus' ministry. This is why I think the presence of the Holy Spirit is revealing something significant about who Jesus is and what He's doing. Next day, He saw Jesus coming to Him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a pretty significant statement. It's It's a statement that is made even more significant by the actual appearing of the Holy Spirit and the actual voice of God speaking from the heavens at this moment, at this event. Let it endorse. Let it confirm. Let it be a big thing. Okay, It's not just the integrity of John the Baptist as a prophet that this is hanging on. It's also this this seal of the Holy Spirit, this presence. Does that make sense? Let it be big in your heart. You can't overestimate that Jesus takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifest in Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testifying, saying, let me stop for a second. Uh, So that's John the Baptist saying that he came before me. He wasn't talking about himself john having a super premature birth and or jesus having you know a super premature birth he's talking about something bigger that's what i'm saying let this whole thing be big uh, it's it's totally okay if our first exposure to it was a flannel graph thing in sunday school i'm totally good with just getting the pieces down but give your heart to the bigness of what was happening here just like during the the actual birth of jesus the incarnation Angels were making declarations that were stunning. Peace on earth, goodwill to those that in whom God is well pleased. You know, the announcements that came to the prophets and all this kind of stuff. So, um, I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifest to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me baptizing in water, the baptized in water, said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, upon Him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Now, the idea of the purpose of Jesus' ministry being very fundamentally and succinctly revealed here, the purpose of Jesus' ministry was to take away the sin of the world and to baptize with the Holy Spirit. If we had that settled in our hearts, and if we believed that that was settled by virtue of the sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit descending upon Him, we would be less easy to be caught up in a lot of other weird doctrine that causes our hearts to be insecure for us to doubt what the purpose is. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And He is the one who Himself Sends and pours out the Holy Spirit. Oop. I turned it on a little too early. All right. If you'll track with me that the descent of the Holy Spirit, the presence, the, the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit, the manifest presence of, of the, the, the Word of God being spoken out of heaven into the situation at the baptism of Jesus, the initiation of his ministry. What happened immediately next? Immediately, the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. Okay, the word translated there, impelled, is ekbalo. It's a very forceful word. It means out from to cast. It has the, it has the Balo idea of throwing or casting. It's pushing. Another way to put it is forced him to go. Now, I don't think that we need to interpret that the Holy Spirit forced Jesus to go because he wasn't willing to. It's just that when the Holy Spirit hovered over the world, he was ready to get the show on the road and build a place for humans to live with God. When the Holy Spirit inspired Bezalel, he was ready to make a place where the glory of God could be and speak and and minister and lead the people of Israel. And when when he was ready to overshadow Mary, he was ready for the Son of God and the Son of Man to be released into the earth. And when he descended on Jesus, it was time to get the show going. And the first thing that happened coming out of that water, you ever thought of this? Anything could have happened. Anything could have happened. The first thing that happened was he was forced by virtue of presence and leading. Remember, he settled on him and he remained into the wilderness. He was forced into the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts and the angels were ministering to him. Holy Spirit's first act Upon the confirmation of Jesus' identity as God's Son was to orchestrate a confrontation, not just any old confrontation. A confrontation in the context of him being out in the wilderness, being led through the Spirit by the Spirit in the wilderness. A confrontation with the tempter. Now, whether it was the exact same being, meaning the serpent that tempted Eve, or it was the spirit behind that, or both, or whatever. The first act of the Holy Spirit upon the mikvid beginning of Jesus' ministry was to orchestrate a confrontation with this accuser, the slanderer, the devil. And what happened in there? Jesus' identity was challenged, remember? And He was tempted in much the same way in much the same way that mankind had surrendered to and that the world had fallen into. The first act recorded in Scripture of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' ministry was to orchestrate, isolate, and orchestrate a confrontation where He could come back to the scene of the fall and turn it around. Now, I have goosebumps under my... Long sleeve shirt. Thinking about that right this second. This is a big deal, guys, and this is a big deal for us to understand the nature of the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that there's not a patience to that work. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit isn't patient. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit and the gifts and all these things—they don't just hang around and eventually find their way into our lives. You know, and we have plenty of time. I'm not saying that He's not patient and gentle and kind. What I'm saying is that <laughs> is He's effective. He is effective. He hovered over chaos and a world was born that people could live in. He inspired a man and the man was able to build the thing that God was happy to abide between the wings of. He overshadowed a woman and nine months later the thing that was born of her the scripture says shall be called the son of God. And whatever ministry Jesus was going to have as that Son of God, when that ministry was declared, when His Sonship was affirmed, the Holy Spirit said, let's go. And the thing that caused all the trouble in the first place was the first thing to be confronted. I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing. So after that, in a sense it's just all cleanup in a way. And I'm not minimizing the life of Jesus. I'm certainly not minimizing the stuff on the cross, but haven't you thought about the gospel in ways, or haven't you heard people talk about the gospel? I know I have. And so I'm, I'm confessing it where it's almost like there was this little bits released to here, a little revelation here, a little revelation here, confrontation here, a little bit of confrontation here, blah, blah, blah. And I, I agree that the scripture says Jesus was growing in wisdom and stature with God and with man. But then it all kind of came to a head at the cross. No, I don't think so. I think it came to a head right here. I think it came to a finish at the cross, which is why Jesus was able to say it's finished. It came to a conclusion. It came to a completion. It came to a beautiful, ugly end where death was defeated and life reigned. But the reversal happened right here immediately. Before he ever preached a sermon, I think let me read in Romans. I don't have it up on the screen. I think this event, in large part, and of course, it all played out you understand what I'm saying, it all played out into the teaching, it all played out into the intercessory work on the cross and all that kind of stuff. But Romans chapter five, beginning verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those that had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now, There's something to think about in that. I won't go off in detail about it, but There's more to Adam than just the eve and the fall. There is this whole representation of who God wanted humanity to be and who humanity became in Christ. So, anyway, we'll get there. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Again, I always associated this with the cross primarily, that gift. No, I think it was the whole life. It was the whole of this. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. So there's something about what Jesus did on the cross. There's something about what Jesus did in his life. And there's something about what Jesus did when confronted with the same kind of temptation that pulled all those transgressions into one big lump. It arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of the life of all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. I'm not suggesting that Jesus' work on the cross wasn't an act of obedience. I'm saying it wasn't the only act. It wasn't the only act. It wasn't even the first act. This was the first act. And this was the first work of the Holy Spirit after the affirmation, the confirmation of who Jesus was and what He did. And He went literally, this is kind of irreverent sounding, but for the whole enchilada, let's reverse what caused humanity all this suffering. I think that I think that's amazing. If you, if you, and you don't, just think about it. If you think this makes sense, though, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing with it that I'm asking you to do about this other stuff. Let it be big. When you think about what the Holy Spirit did when He first had access to the life of the Son of God and humanity, He created this confrontation so this thing can be reversed. And then after that, that's how significant it is. This isn't just, uh, oh boy, can I get a new spiritual gift? Yes, you can, by the way. But it's big, and it's deep, and it's life-changing. It's cosmos-changing. And that's the nature of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, shame on me in my younger years, allowing my hopes for my relationship with the Holy Spirit to be reduced down to just a few gifts or just something small. He never operates that way. Sorry about this this page. It's got a lot of Scripture on it, but here we go. So, the Holy Spirit then became the means of ministry to Jesus. And keep in mind, what we're talking about here is the work of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit with Jesus. And so if the Holy Spirit acted this way, worked this way with Jesus, how much more will He work this way with us? You know, in other words... Just keep this in mind as a a pattern. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Now, this is just immediately after this. uh, And was led around by by the Spirit in the wilderness. So this is the beginning of Luke's story about the temptation. Then there's a long section of Scripture that covers the temptations, and then Luke recites Jesus' family line, but it goes here. After that, so after this whole thing about being tempted, Jesus returned to Galilee, and how is he described? In the power of the Holy Spirit. The news about him spread through all the surrounding district, and he began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by all. Just envision the contrast. After the encounter with temptation that Adam and Eve had, they lost power. After the encounter that Jesus had with the temptation, he walked away in power. It is a reversal. It's a big reversal. It's an amazing reversal. Um, And the news about him spread throughout the district, and he began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by all. Then he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he did this. He closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So one of the other things I want you to see that happens every time the Holy Spirit does something is he brings the whole sweep of history and the whole hope of the future into that one moment. Yes, can.
1: Okay, so this is sort of out there, (laughs) as most of my questions are. Um, When Jesus performs the miracle of turning the water into wine, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: we, I mean, I've always kind of attributed that to the Holy Spirit, but was that a power move by the Holy Spirit, or was it just Jesus turning water into wine?
0: Um, Well,
1: I mean, like people say signs yeah, and wonders yeah, follow no. Jesus, and that's so one of, a one of well the observations
0: signs. in the beginning that we saw when in John's narrative is that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus and remained on him. So the Holy Spirit was in and on Jesus in the doing of the wine. For sure. There's no question about it. It wasn't, it wasn't you know, I, there's not this coming on, getting off, Jesus walked with power, you know. I think that that's there. So what's your thought about that?
1: Well, I mean, aren't these scriptures after that? (laughs) Huh? Aren't these scriptures after? In other words, like Jesus does the wine thing, and then the Holy Spirit comes on him after his baptism.
0: No, he did the wine thing after the baptism. Oh. Yeah, after he came back from the Oh, okay. So my sequence
1: is out because I was yeah, sitting there going, I yeah. don't understand. Yeah, how the, that could the wedding of Canus is
0: in John chapter two.
1: Okay. And,
0: and all right.
1: So that's what I was wondering, because I was like I was sitting there going, How did that happen? Yeah, yeah, if yeah.
0: If, no, that's good. That's good. If good. the spirit that's good. didn't
1: come on him. Okay, thanks. Yeah.
0: Yep. So that was part of the whole and I don't really know. It'd be interesting to look at where the, the track is on all that as far as my time's not yet, and then he goes ahead and does it anyway and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Uh, anyway, again, I'm just captivated, and I'm probably beating a dead horse now. I'm just captivated by how big what the Holy Spirit does is. Jesus says this: "If Satan cast out Satan, he's being divided against himself, how then will his kingdom stand? If by Beelzebub, uh, if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, now, this is because he was accused of casting out demons by the prince of demons. Uh, by whom do your sons cast him out? For this reason, they will be your judges. but' this is what he says. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, or if I turn water into wine by the Spirit of God, I didn't say that in that story, but if I heal the, the guy with the shriveled hand by the Spirit of God, if I cast the demon out in the synagogue in Capernaum and get in trouble by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So again, let the connection breathe and live. The Holy Spirit brings us and the kingdom of God together. The kingdom of God is not fundamentally something to be analyzed or observed from a distance. It's something to be engaged in. Now, there's some more that we could talk about. I'm going to talk about it next week. I'm not going to be able to get into it today. But you know, where it talks about in in the prologue to John, as many as receive Him, even those who believe on His name, give you the power to become the children of God. Not born of the flesh, or born of the will of man, but born of God, born of the Spirit. Then in John 3, He talks about that. Uh, He's talking to Nicodemus about, you must be born again, you must be born again, you must be born again. And then the thing that He says, as an illustration is, you know, the wind blows. You don't know where it's coming. You don't know where it's going. Such is it with everyone that is born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is so incredibly central and integrated in the fundamentals of our life in Christ and in the fundamentals of seeing and being in the kingdom of God. There's there's no possible way to estimate overestimate the role of the Spirit of God. As in creation, as in the tabernacle and the worship of Israel, as in the incarnation of Jesus, humanity encounters and experiences God as the Holy Spirit reveals and engages us in the reality of God's presence in His kingdom. It's just the way it works. It's the way it's always worked. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you, Mary. And the thing that is going to be born of you is going to be called God. The Son of God. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the Spirit of God didn't say came upon Him. It comes on you. Wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. The promise of the Father. What's the promise of the Father? The coming of the kingdom, the power. not a byproduct of it, the actual presence, the actual presence. So, what my hope is tonight is that by looking at it in this particular light, which I think is a, a true light for sure, it's not exhaustive by any means, I understand that, but it can elevate our expectation of the kingdom. I think we have a pretty low expectation of the kingdom for the most part. It's, it's been sort of driven down by disappointment, things like unanswered prayers and stuff, but we're probably starting, if I'm saying that, at the wrong end. We're, we're, we're looking at the out- outcomes to try to be encouraged when we don't realize the, the full force of looking at the actual presence of God being manifest by the Holy Spirit. There's some interesting stuff we'll talk about in the next couple of weeks where, like in Ephesians chapter 3, it talks about Jesus being able to dwell in your heart through faith by the Holy Spirit's work. Wow. It's not by your work or my work. The Holy Spirit's doing that. The same one that enabled Bezalel to create the mercy seat. The same one that enabled the Virgin Mary to give birth to one that was called the Son of God. The same one that hovered over chaos and everything that God said happened, happened. Pretty amazing. I think we've, I think. It, I, oh, Dan. Yeah, buddy.
2: I, hey, I just thought a little theoretic connection there is between some of the verses you quoted and. You know, I was raised kind of, it's always, you know, we're led by the Holy Spirit and we do it the Holy Spirit, you know, all that kind of stuff, which is true and right and good. But it's an interesting thing that Mary, when she told Jesus, go make some wine. And even though he said, it's not my time, he did it. And I think there's an aspect where the Holy Spirit, when we're in good and proper relationship, He's okay with us directing some stuff. Now, whether he worked it through us, I don't, you know, I don't know. And he's obviously not there just to do our bidding. But there's certainly an aspect in the relationship where if we're really involved in that relationship, he will actually listen to our ideas and go, okay, we'll do that. And that's an, a really interesting, <laughs> you know, thing, that God would will, was willing to do that.
0: Even, in, and I, I know it's difficult to attribute this just specifically to the Holy Spirit, but you go all the way back to the sort of working relationship that was illustrated in creation. It's the same sort of way. Uh, do I think that God gave Adam the wisdom to name the animals? Yes, but who named them? Adam did. Yeah. And and if he wanted to call something a platypus, God probably would let him. Oh, he did, as a matter of fact. Weird, right? So, <laughs> I agree with you. I think that I think this is that it's the way this works. Uh, jump up your same idea kind of reinforced in Scripture almost directly in uh, Antioch or Caesarea, Antioch, whatever there. It says it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. There's a partnership here. Bring in the plan of God, the work of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the resources of God, and the identity and the dignity. Because keep in mind, this thing with Jesus, the first confirmation was of Identity. So once it was established, you are the Son of God, I'm with you, then yes, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's a pattern. That's what I want us to see how big this, these patterns are. Because that, the Holy Spirit's not operating that differently with us. I really don't believe so. I think that we need to start thinking in those terms. Sounds good. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Jeremy.
2: Yeah, Dan, I thought that was a beautiful way of putting that. That's a a thought process that's really been stirring with me for several years now, and uh, you you described it pretty well. Uh, One of the things that thought process has released me to do over the years is go from a place of when somebody steps out in some way to, in a proactive way to minister or whatever, instead of approaching it from a a judgmental, is this scriptural sort of mentality to just be excited because what is this person seeing that I'm not seeing? You know, what's going on here? This is going to be good stuff. And that's a much different mindset. So that's that's been really nice. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you'll never see Jesus criticizing his disciples for being bold or doing something and going, you know, never, never, ever, ever does he say, oh, wow, that was really over the top, and you shouldn't have tried so hard, or you shouldn't have. You know, it's usually you didn't. You have little faith. You buried your treasure. You didn't do anything.
0: I him about that guy that wasn't traveling with him but was ministering in his name. And they said, should we rebuke him? He said, no, no, nobody's going to do that without, you know. This is the point. And keep in mind, the thing the Holy Spirit has done every single time we've looked at the work that he engaged in is bring glory to the Father bring glory to God. He's demonstrating the glory of God. Demonstrating the glory of God. Demonstrating the glory of God in Jesus' life. If we were to go in detail in John chapter 15, for instance, 14 and 15, uh, 16, there where Jesus is talking, which we'll get into, um, the Father's going to do this for his glory. You're going to get this for his glory. This is the thing the Holy Spirit's pulling heaven down and releasing it in earth. And he's been doing it since the beginning. So, now in the last, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I think this talks about what you guys are talking about. But this he spoke of the Spirit, who those who believe in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So we see the Spirit so... As a matter of fact, given to Jesus, right? At his birth. So now all this ministry is being revealed, whether it be the water to wine, it be the, the demons cast out by the finger of God raising people from the dead, all this stuff. But this he spoke of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Do you understand that this idea of the Spirit to whom those who believed were to receive wasn't an afterthought? This is much of the plan of redemption as Jesus being the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. We, this is us. This is our life. And we can't overestimate it. Now, the good news is that was then and this is now. <clears throat> Jesus has been glorified. And we're going to look at the, the impact of the Holy Spirit on our lives. We're going to get to looking at that. And I hope a different light. It's not like a rescue plan for wimpy Christians. It is the way God has always brought His will, His power, His destiny into the earth. And it's always wrapped up in life. It's always wrapped up in worship. It's always wrapped up in glory. Okay? All right, so that's it. That's what I got. Any thoughts? Any questions? Any? Oh my gosh!
3: So the la- the prior slide, um, could you back up to that? Uh-huh. So that's John seven thirty seven. Uh huh. It says, "But this this is the thirty nine. Uh-huh. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive." Uh-huh. So that's something that seems to show we have to believe in Jesus. I'm assuming the hymn is Jesus. Uh huh. Right? I think so. Believe in Him. Yeah. Um, to receive the Spirit.
0: It appears so. The book of Acts seems to be that way too.
3: Interesting. Cause I was leaning towards maybe the Spirit's available for everyone.
0: I would agree with you. The Spirit's available for everybody.
3: All right. I was leaning towards the spirits in everyone.
0: I would agree with that as well. <laughs> Our belief plays a role. Okay, It may not play the role that we've been taught. In other words, we've been taught... by I, I grew up thinking, okay, matter of fact, I grew up, sadly, in a denomination that used a certain manifestation or two of the gifts as a sign as to whether I could acknowledge that, that you had a relationship with God. I don't think that's exactly how it is. It's speaking to like other things too, prophecy stuff. Um, but we don't want to lose the reality that it matters what we believe. It does. It really does. It does. So we'll get into it. Yeah, Doris.
4: Actually, um, what... What was that man's name that just spoke, Ronnie? Okay, he kind of answered a part of my question um I've thought about when Jesus sent out the seventy and they came back rejoicing because of the spirits that they you know that they delivered people of and the healings and I had always assumed that could only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he pointed out that it was the sentence that he pointed out would be the qualifier, I guess. And so I was always just wondering, okay, was that just a visitation then? Of the Holy Spirit on the disciples lives when he was when they were sent out, and then they were able to walk in the fullness of it after uh pentecost
0: it, uh you know I don't know we have a tendency to compartmentalize everything a little bit, probably, trying to understand it. uh did Jesus have the power to impart to them because he actually did send them out, and he you know laid hands on them uh was that a precursor of uh, of what was they were destined to do the whole time? Maybe, yeah. I, I, visitation versus the final outpouring. That, yeah, that even, yeah, I have to that that even explains the difference between in John twenty where Jesus said, you know, he breathed on him and received the Holy Spirit, and he still told them to wait in Jerusalem until they were in the Deuteron- tar, and and then Pentecost hit. So it's a good question, Holly.
5: I'll say this, even though sometimes I think I just say words because they're coming at me, but I'll just say words because I feel like I was compelled to come up. But as you're talking, I've been super overwhelmed with this idea that once you said we go into baptism, because every time we go to any baptism every, anywhere, you always hear them talk about, okay, and now when they come up, they're going to be different. But, but I don't think we hear that enough whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit. And so to say, okay, Holy Spirit, now Holy Spirit has come. Now Holy Spirit has descended on you. You, you should have it... Like that, we should, we, we are allowed to have, we, we must have, um, this assumption that everything is different and that everything's different within and that everything's different without and that as the Holy Spirit came in, it spoke to identity. And so instead of trying to walk towards this an identity to say, No, I have that identity. Like yeah. like to me, there was something of confidence that you spoke of tonight, of no, I have this identity because it's come upon me and it's it's here. Praise it's God. mine. And then also to say, okay, not only did he come and take away the sins of the world, but then when he was confronted in the wilderness, okay, now I'm walking in this ability where I now can I'm I now walk in this this ability to, to um, to defeat those things that would come at us where I think we try to get put up our dukes and fight instead of just to stand in that confidence to say, yeah. no, I know who I am that identity. And then the other thing that, okay, if the Holy Spirit's descended in the whole goal of the, Holy Spirit is creativity. Then that means that the whole goal of the spirit hovering in me. I mean, if it's here for if if all of us are baptized in the spirit, we say okay, Holy Spirit has come and it's here and that's what it is, then we have to walk with this this expectation mm-hmm. of creation coming through us constantly because that's what it was for Jesus that that creation was coming through constantly that it was hard for him to fight back the creation of the miracles and the things that like yeah. he had to pull that back some. So to me there was like this confidence booster and then the other thing is that whenever i mean i've been so obsessed since we started talking about this with Adonai Echad Adonai is one and that declaration that hero israel the lord your god the lord is yeah. one and what does that mean and to me i was like wait a minute if the whole if the whole thing was holy spirit comes for mercy seat to be with us holy spirit comes with creation to be with us holy spirit comes through jesus to be with us then what if that was the declaration that adonai is one not just one together, where we put it in this this lump to say these three are together, but not just Adonai is one together, but Adonai has come. The mercy seat has come. The the, the presence has come. It's here. And to me, this oneness just got super huge because of what you're leading us through. So I think Uh, that's good. I just wanted to show you. I think so. so
0: I, I think expectation, our expectations should be unreasonable. If they are patterned after the way the Holy Spirit has demonstrated how this stuff happens our expectations should be unreasonable. And we have permission to have unreasonable expectations because of the stories that are told and how those things came to pass. I mean, Bezalel hammered away at some gold and made a beautiful thing. That was great. But then God actually came and hovered there and spoke with him. That was greater. (laughs) And so our expectations really... And the real truth, guys, this is the truth. I think if we're honest, our expectations are much more established and governed by our disappointments or our fears than they are by the example of what the Holy Spirit has done. And I think, you know, who here has lived through a disappointment? Okay, it's not fatal, right? Most of the time. Sometimes maybe it is. But most of the time it's not. Who here still has the capacity, if we, if we have a, a biblical reason for it, a historical reason for it, a spiritual, encouraging, loving reason for it, to have bigger expectations than we've grown used to living with? I do. I do. That's what I'm seeing as I'm trying to identify. All I was trying to do when we started this series was to respond to some requests about the... Let's look at the Holy Spirit, see what He's he's up to, you know? Well, I was living in a low state of expectation. And I'm trying to live in a high state of expectation. And I'm not trying to, in response to some Christian duty, I'm trying to because to be in His presence brings that out of us. You know what I mean? So, anyway, praise God. All right, well, that's good. Worship, let's do it. Thank you, guys.